Hello, everyone. Welcome to C-Suite Talks. We speak with industry leaders, introducing you to some of the most interesting people and businesses today. We are focused on women, money, and power, as well as diversity in all areas. Welcome to C-Suite Talks. I am Beth Hilbing, co-CEO of C-Suite. And I'm Diane Gubin, co-CEO, along with Beth. And this week, we are so happy and delighted to be speaking with Tara Janta. Tara is a partner at Paul Hastings, LLP. Tara, let me give you a brief bio, is a recognized risk strategy and compliance expert, as well as an advisor to boards and executive management teams in global companies. Tara advises key stakeholders on corporate governance and enterprise risk management. She is also co-chair of Paul Hastings ESG Risk Strategy and Compliance Practice. And if that wasn't enough, during its unprecedented growth during 2017 to 2022, Tara was vice chair of Paul Hastings Investigations and White Collar Defense Practice, which is one of the firm's largest and leading growth areas with responsibility for over 100 lawyers around the globe. Thank you and welcome, Tara. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. And Tara and Paul Hastings actually is also a sponsor of C-Suite. So we appreciate that. And they hosted us for a live in-person event in DC. So thank you for that. In a gorgeous office. Yeah, gorgeous office. So tell us about your role at Paul Hastings and what you're focused on for 2023. Sure. Thank you. Well, so I, as, as Diane, thank you for the introduction, said I, I wear a couple of hats in the firm. Uh, leading right now as co-chair of our ESG risk strategy and compliance practice. As Diane said, I had been the vice chair of our investigations by color defense practice for a number of years. Um, and really, and I also wear the hat of being head of our women's initiative for the firm. So I'll help in that regard too, both internally and, and externally with important organizations like C-Suite and really trying to advance, make the positive progress that we all want to see. Um, so what I'm really focused on this year really builds off of the, the momentum and the, the acceleration on the focus, both legal, regulatory, in the industry, among investors and shareholders, to ESG, environmental, social governance, and human rights risks and opportunities, I would say. What, what we're seeing is really what had been in kind of a soft law uh, world with human rights in particular, um, is really moving into hard law. We're seeing a lot of movement come, coming out of the EU in particular uh, that's focusing on not only uh, corporate compliance and oversight to environmental and human rights related risks, uh, governance over those reporting and disclosure, uh, but we're also seeing that movement here in the United States too, um, particularly in uh, certain select agencies like the Securities Exchange Commission, which is really made environmental uh, and, and ESG kind of writ large compliance um, and reporting and disclosure of issuers a prime uh, priority. And, you know, ESG, it, it's such a huge bucket uh, of, of risk areas, right? It's not only environmental, it's cybersecurity, data privacy, it's, you know, employment, pay equity, um, human capital. Uh, so it covers a broad swath of risk areas for companies. And that I think is the challenge that we're trying to help our clients work through, which is what does this area mean for me in my industry, right? For my company, the industry I sit in, the global footprint, our product lines, our plans, expansion or otherwise, right? What does it mean? How do I understand those risks and opportunities? 
how do I prioritize among them, and then put in place an actionable plan to really address those risks. Again, it's it's risk areas that um, have a risk or a potential impact to the long-term value, financial performance of the company, and that's really what we're talking about. Uh, and so that can be that can be overwhelming for companies, for management and boards to really understand what that means for them so that they can put a reasonable, responsive plan in place. So that's really what I'm focused on uh, this year. I think we're going to see, uh, particularly with some of the market contraction, you know, you've got companies that are having to be understandably very prudent and bottom line focused on, you know, what is really important to the long term value of that enterprise, of that company, their financial performance, their future. And so really helping them work through that in a way that makes sense for them uh, and that does that really is supportive of the financial integrity, health, and, and uh, future of the company. And, and that's a big issue area for regardless of the industry you sit in. Some are more exposed than others in different, in different buckets. Uh, more in the climate area than others, perhaps, but still they're there and helping them understand and and really risk rank it from a financial risk performance perspective. That's what's important for these companies. That's what I'm focused on. That that's amazing. Is there is there guidelines and do they have to hit certain goals and in, in a time frame inside that? Just curious. So part of the challenge, yeah, so part of the challenge, Beth, is that uh, there are various standards. And and so what what standards do you choose, for instance, to uh, be guided by SASB, by GRI, right? The standards area is in, in flux and evolution. There is an effort, an initiative in Europe to try to pull those together and, and, sta- and standardize them. The SEC has this climate disclosure rulemaking proceeding that it issued not quite a year ago, March of last year, and it has said that it anticipates releasing its climate disclosure rule uh, this spring, is, is the um, estimate. And that, you know, candidly, I, I think we can, everybody reasonably expects we'll, we'll see some litigation and resistance. Um, you know, it's, it's a challenge. So the SEC has said, okay, here's what we want you to do. We want you to identify the standards that you're following. We want you to report and disclose. But it's also, or and, it's also a very comprehensive uh, proposed rulemaking. So we have to see what they finally issue um, because uh, a lot of the challenges that companies have is understanding, okay, for me, how does that, for instance, just sticking with climate, how does climate risk present not only in my operations, but also in my supply chain, for instance, right? We have all the different, right? So how far into my supply chain do I really need to go? And then if you're in that supply chain, those companies are coming to you saying, what is your environmental, what are your greenhouse gas emissions? What's your environmental impact? What are you doing in this space? So it's really significant. And, And the challenge for companies, a lot of companies is, really being able to put in the uh, appropriate programs and procedures uh, to make sure they're getting the right data, right? That, that there's an accuracy and a, that they can rely on the data they're getting. 
Um, and, and so it's really a significant lift. I think it's going to be, it's going to be, um, still something that, that is debated and there's some, a lot of concern about it. Um, that I think the goal, I, you know, you don't, I don't hear any company saying, well, we don't care. We don't want to do it. I think that the challenge is what can we do? And, and there's such a concern about the risk of greenwashing of saying you're doing something and then not being able, it's not that you're not necessarily doing it, but are you able to back that up with hard data and evidence that says, yes, we're doing it, right? So because the SEC is also going after um, companies and firms that are under their jurisdiction for potential greenwashing. Right. So as a partner to your clients, are you the one interfacing with the SEC? Can be, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it, too, at this stage as well is is really meeting with boards of directors and, and senior executive leadership teams to help them really sort through all of this and figure out what uh, really makes sense for them. Do a materiality assessment. What in the various buckets of E, S, and G uh, it presents for them as a risk area, and then risk ranking them. What are the really leading risks? you know, for our company, for our supply chain, and how are we going to tackle those? And then really, remember, it's reporting and disclosure. It's putting a plan in place and then reporting on it. So um, as long as you're being prudent and, and um, as, as uh, appro- uh, accurate as possible in your reporting and disclosure, that's what's important. But it's a very, it's a very challenging area. I'm sure. So how did you get into this field? I mean, what made you decide that when you were going into college? Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering too, like, how does somebody become Tara? <laughs> so it's, you know, it's a long, maybe a long story. I practiced for uh, 36 years. Um, I started my legal practice in the international telecom and satellite space. And way back, uh, what that meant in large measure was helping predominantly U.S. companies move outside the U.S. to other jurisdictions um, because they, the other jurisdictions were privatizing their telecom networks. They were government owned. Okay. Okay. So they were privatizing. They needed the skill sets, the expertise, the money. And so um, the U.S. Uh, telcos, particularly the Bell system, because they were had been broken up, right? They could go into the foreign markets. There was no market power, right? So they go, but then what do you get into there is uh, now you have to really worry about legal and regulatory compliance risk, including potential risk of foreign corrupt practice under the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, right? You have government officials who are involved in businesses. You have to make sure that you are acting ethically and business ethics, right? Ethical business practices is sits within the G uh, of ESG, right? So, so that kind of moved me then into an area that I practice in. For instance, you, we talked about the investigations and in white collar defense practice. That is doing corporate internal investigations to assure ethical business practices um, and helping our clients in that to understand their risk profile, right? Doing the risk assessments, developing the compliance programs and the reporting mechanisms. And then when an issue surfaces, doing an invest internal investigation and remediating, right? So that that, that got me into the real global risk, risk um, assessment, risk compliance, 
corporate governance top down and how do you build those systems to make sure that there is integrity in terms of how the company is doing business. So so an example of a white collar defense, is that like when a CEO, you find out that their education isn't right on their resume? Or is that just too light an example? Well, there could be that. Mine, mine was um, under the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, is anything of value being given to a foreign official for improper purposes? So that's under the FCPA, Warren Correct. So, but that gets you ethical business practices, right? Which is how are you going to market? What's your going to market strategy? What third parties do you work with and through? How do you vet those third parties? What sort of monitoring program do you put on your third parties? I still do that work. That sits still under our ESG practice, right? Because it is corporate governance and ethical business practices sits under the broader bucket of ESG, so does antitrust, so does cybersecurity and data privacy. Oh, interesting. So these are not, for a lot of us in the practice, these are not new disciplines, individual disciplines. It's really how companies are understanding the breadth and depth of these risk areas and how are they um, risk ranking them and then developing the internal control framework to mitigate that risk. So, so we've been saying that to clients for a while, right? They're not, for quite some time, they're not stovepiped, right? You have to understand that your risk profile as a company are very frequently um, interwoven, right? That you could have an FCPA risk, but guess what? You may also have an employment risk with it, like a harassment claim with it. You could have an economic uh, sanctions issue with it as well, right? You could have a data privacy, cybersecurity breach issue with it, right? So so what you're talking about is really as a company is understanding your risk framework and making sure you have the right controls and internal reporting uh, system set up for that. And that's a huge thing for them to get their head wrapped around, plus the amount of bodies and um, legal advice and so forth to do that. It's huge. Right. Yeah. I think one of the added uh, wrinkles in the ESG context is that you have ESG in companies really kind of as a discipline or a focus really evolved from CSR, corporate social responsibility, right? To move it into more of an ESG framework because your diversity, equity, inclusion programs, right? You have that over in a different section in the business, right? Typically your environmental type of issues, they sat over in like operations, facilities, procurement, right? So part of the challenge with ESG, given all the different disciplines that are implicated for any company is making sure you have the right stakeholders at the table internally at the company so that you can make sure that the person who is responsible for the environmental uh, and the climate controls of the facilities in their factories, that they're also communicating across to legal and regulatory and whoever is responsible for the overall compliance framework in the company. So what's new at Paul Hastings? We are hearing that there's been some new leadership changes, et cetera. Are you excited about that? And what's new? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's great. Well, so the leadership change was about a year ago now. But but so we have, yeah, there have been a lot of really exciting changes. So we have um, Frank Lopez, who is our global chairman. He's based in our New York office, and he took over that mantle about a year ago from 
um, Seth Zachary, who was the global chair for about 22, 23 years for the firm and really oversaw an incredible growth uh, of the firm. Um, so Frank took that over. We also have a global managing partner. So it's kind of like president, vice president. We have a global chair and a global vi- uh, managing partner. And uh, our global managing partner is Sheree Smith, um, who uh, actually was a cybersecurity uh, partner in the DC office. So she's now our global managing partner. So, you know, we, we're really excited. It's um, kind of, it, they're the right, we had the right leadership team to get us to this point, right? And now we have this dynamic leadership team to take us into the new new century or the new 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 future of the firm. We also have a number of lateral partners and groups who've joined the firm in particular over the past year or so. And so it really is an exciting, we're very, very proud, very exciting place to be. Oh, that's fabulous. And, and tell us about the women's initiative, because that you led it. Did you start that? Did you lead it? And, you know, tell, tell us about the women. <laughs> so, well, we have tons of really impactful women um, at all levels in, in the firm. So both in the management administrative um, teams, because we have, of course, like any company, you have departments like our IT department and our talent management department and lots of others. Um, and our knowledge knowledge management is a big, big department as well. And so we have a lot of women and diverse um, persons who thread throughout the organization throughout the firm. Uh, and then for, so our women's initiative is not solely focused on lawyers. Uh, we also have them down at the office level, um, as well as, you know, our stock and trade is legal practice. And so we do really spend a lot of time and where it's a constant um, commitment to improvement um, because we're very proud of what we've done and what we do. And fully mindful that there's a lot more that we could do and, and, and should do and will do. But we have different programs and mentorship, and we try to make sure that when we're staffing assignments that uh, that the team is as diverse um, as it can be, as appropriate within the skill sets that we are, we have very much focused uh, in our hiring uh, and our evaluation and retention programs to make sure that we are really being as the the kind of firm of choice uh, for, for, for attorneys and others to come and work for. So we have a number of initiatives and we have different Mansfield, Mansfield is a ratings um, for, for women in particular, women in diversity. And we've had very good ratings on Mansfield and not, and it's not just about ratings. I don't want to, cause we, we don't manage to ratings, right? But it's good to track and have metrics. It's good to have track. But but you do, right, because you value what you measure, right? And so we do, right? right. We want to make sure that we're really understanding what's where where we could do better. Right. And right. and where we could, um, you know, we, we're doing okay and we can build on it. What kind of advice would you give young professionals as they're entering? Where do you think their areas of focus should be as they're looking to expand into the legal firms? You know, let me tell you the one thing and I tell our junior associates all the time is keep your eyes and ears open, constantly be watching as to what is evolving, both in your client base, like what's, what are the issues and the challenges that are out there in the marketplace in these industries? How is the law evolving? When I went to law school, nobody had heard the word cybersecurity, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, 
when you think of FinTech, we have a huge FinTech practice. Well, FinTech wasn't a practice when I was in law school, right? So when I started, and the reason, and I use myself as an example, I started in the, as an international telecom and satellite lawyer. Very different from what I'm doing today, but it all built on itself over the course of a 36-year period, right? And so I always say, always, and it, by the way, it makes practice so much more interesting, right? Instead of doing the same thing every day, you develop, by the way, you want to develop your expertise, but you also want to make sure that you're pretty well-rounded so that you can offer that kind of guidance and advice to your clients. So it's constant learning um, and constant pushing yourself to maybe reach beyond your comfort zone too, to take on that assignment, to raise your hand, to say, yeah, you know, this is a new um, emerging area. I'd, I'd really like to, you know, dig deep into that because we do that all the time. We're like, yeah, go for it. You know, I mean, that's great. 15, how, old, how long ago now? 2010. <laughs> when I started, I started our, um, which back then. Just yesterday. I know. Back then was innovative. Today, it's not so much. But back in 2010, um, coming out of the financial crisis of 2008 and uh, eight, nine. You know, one of the rash, uh, analyses and observations as to what happened, how did so many smart people get it so wrong, was one of the main uh, uh, observations was groupthink. They were all the same. Oh. You had the same profile at boards and the executive leadership team. Nobody was challenging assumptions. Nobody had a different perspective brought to the table. That's what really, in my opinion, really pushed the whole area of board diversity. Because you could see the value in having a diversity of thought, experience, backgrounds, demographics really coming to bear. So in 2010, but it was new then, right? They were just talking about it. But it was, it was really starting to move in Europe. And so I said to my firm, I said, you know, this is a new area. This, this is an area companies need to understand. And we tend to, not all, all but our, we tend to deal mostly with multinational or global companies, you know, at least regional companies that are, have a kind of more of a, uh, not strictly domestic U.S. view. And so I said, you know, they need to know this. We want to be, which very much was in keeping with the philosophy of the firm and remains, thought leaders to help our clients understand. And so that's where I started the Breaking the Glass Ceiling Women in the Boardroom report, which back then was innovative. Now, you know, we've got lots of data out there, but back then you didn't. And we had, we covered 46 right. countries in terms of what they were doing and the area of board diversity. And so, you know, and I use that as an example. Nobody asked me to, I was like, you know, that looks like an interesting thing. We should do it. And I pulled together a group of attorneys associates to help out all who, of whom got credit on each of the chapters that they wrote so that they also had you know, that opportunity to have that visibility as well. Well, that's fabulous. That's fabulous. For sure. For sure. And, and tell us, tell us briefly, tell us about the volunteer work you've been doing, the 30% coalition, the women, women's business collective. What are those? Oh, so I, you know, as, as like with C-suite too, I, I always like working with organizations that are helping to make a difference. Um, my thing has been women, um, but it's not just women. It's also diverse persons. It's, it's writ large. Um, so the 30% coalition, I've been involved with them for quite a few years. I went on their board last year, last March, I think it is. Um, and I'm now chair of the non-gov committee of the 30% coalition. And, <laughs> there you go. and yeah, and, 
and the the um, it's a coalition of corporates, institutional investors, state state treasurers, um, activists, um, you know, um, PE firms that come together for purposes of the addressing the demand side of for diversity. So there are, are other organizations out there that are on the supply side trying to help, you know, diverse persons get them trained position for, for a board seat. The coalition is talking to all of those stakeholders saying we can do more. What can we do to help create more demand and more opportunity for diverse uh, directors? And so that's, that's the coalition. So I'm very, very pleased uh, to be on that board. Um, and then the Women's Business Collaborative is a great organization, and that pulls together women business owners, um, advocates, you know, allies of women, so men as well, um, but they're really focused on helping the advancement of women in business. And so I'm on the advisory council, and they're a, a pro bono client of mine, happy to help them because they're really trying, and they have been making a real impact and working with folks like you guys, right? I mean, it's, it's important. It, it takes a village and lots of different uh, people and skills and perspectives to really help move it forward. So, so that's what I kind of do in my um, spare time. Spare time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. I always say there's multiple, you know, there's all kinds of different networks and organizations and you should belong to a couple of them, not just one right. uh, to really get a broad perspective of women and what's happening and yeah. topics and so forth. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And your network. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, thank you, Tara. Oh, my pleasure. Tara Genta from uh, Paul Hastings, uh, a partner. And uh, we have so appreciated your insights and thoughts on ESG and so much. So let's wrap it up, Beth. Do you want to take us uh, home to our sponsors? Well, first, let's thank our listeners. Thank you for listening. We're on LinkedIn Live. So thank you, everybody who's, uh, who's viewing us today. Yes. And come join us at C-Suite in the community of amazing women. So thank you to sponsors, Paul Hastings, of course, Google, City National Bank, Manette. Interpublic Group, and Amplified Professional Services. Thank you for listening. Hit your subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review and follow us on social media, LinkedIn, etc. And uh, we look forward to having you as a participant in our LinkedIn live streams again. And if you want to contact us, you can contact me at Beth at CSWEET.org. And you can check us out on our website. We have fabulous events, www.csuite.org. So thank you. And thank you again, Tara, for everything. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you, Tara.